Well, good morning. It's so nice to see all of you, and especially my favorite people, boys and girls, ages three years old and up. They are here with us, and this is great. This is what we call Family Worship Sunday. Uh, we love uh, entire families coming together to worship God, experience hearing from God's Word, and uh, uh, so this is great. So what that means, uh, it's going to be a little bit noisier, and we are fine with that. We are fine. This is a family gathering, so parents, please relax because I'm relaxed, the staff is relaxed. We are so thrilled that you are here. Uh, before I became a parent, coming to church was so easy. You just get up, you dress up, and you come. Then I had my number one, then I had my number two, and I thought, you need superpowers to come to church on time and smiling. <laughs> so parents, you are my superheroes. Every time I see you on Sunday with your kids, I know what an enormous effort you went through. So thank you for being here in church and for being here with your uh, children. Uh, that's awesome. So kids, can we give your parents a nice big hand for bringing you to church? Yeah. That takes a lot uh, for them to do that. So that's great. So as I said, today will be a little bit different. And so now I actually will invite my friend Matt and he's going to set some things up. It's going to be a little surprise for later on. And also, I want to invite ushers uh, to bring uh, the Bibles down the aisle. So if you were in a rush and uh, you brought your toddler but forgot your Bible, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, we, we have you covered. So uh, children, adults, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and uh, you can... Uh, uh, have it so you can uh, follow along uh, in the service. We will be reading from the Bible. And uh, yeah, so this is Family Worship Sunday. Another way I like to address this Sunday is our Happy Meal Sunday. You know, when you go to McDonald's, dad gets his Big Mac, mom gets her salad, but most likely a child gets a tiny meal, right? There is a little cheeseburger, some slices of apple, and then there is a toy. There is a fun element. And McDonald's figured it out. If you want families to come time after time after time, we need to make sure kids have fun. So this Sunday we'll have a, a few of those elements. There will be a few uh, fun things that we call like a happy meal. So I hope uh, you just enjoy it and you go along with it. And just know that this is uh, not happening every Sunday, just a family worship Sundays. So, topic today, if you saw the cover of your uh, bulletin, uh, is Transformed. Uh, this is the title of my message, Transformed. And, and let me guess, when children, you hear the word transformed, what comes to your mind first is probably this. Transformers, right? Robots that are disguised as just... Uh, vehicles, whether it's a jet plane or a bus or a car, but when a time of need arises and they need to come to a rescue, they transform and they become uh, somebody else, right? Uh, how many of you own a transformer toy? 
Okay, one adult there. Okay, two teenagers here. Okay, maybe Transformers are not as big with kids nowadays. All right, let's move on. Okay, so we're still talking about Transform. How about this guy? Let's, let's just go through some of the fairy tales. The Nutcracker. Okay, so uh, the little girl Marie or Clara, depending on uh, which version of the story you are reading, she gets uh, this toy that uh, cracks, uh, cracks nuts, and it's a very ugly toy. And then we see there is a big battle between the Nutcracker and the mouse skin. It's a fierce battle, and the Nutcracker wins, and all of a sudden becomes a handsome prince. Transformation from an ugly wooden toy into a handsome prince. Or Beauty and the Beast, right? Beauty and the Beast. We see a hideous monster and a young lady falls in love with him and her love breaks the spell and he becomes, again, a handsome prince. What do we see? Transformation from somebody ugly-looking, scary, monstrous to somebody who he was not. How about here? We have Cinderella, right? So she is dressed in rags. She is treated like a slave. And then uh, a glass slipper is put on her foot, and it fits, and she marries a prince, and life changes for her. Again, transformation, right? Oh, how about this? What is it, boys and girls? Pinocchio. Your parents know fairy tales better than you. That's, that's not right. <laughs> Next one you'll have to uh, answer before your mom and dad answer. So Pinocchio, we see a wooden doll, and a wooden doll engages on a journey to become a real boy, and a wooden doll has to learn to be truthful and brave and unselfish, and as he learns these lessons, he is becoming a real boy, right? Okay, so how about here? What is it, girls? Princess Aurora? Sleeping Beauty, right? The princess and the whole kingdom are under a spell and they're sleeping. And then a prince comes and it's only a kiss from a prince that can break the spell, right? And here happens a kiss and the whole kingdom comes to life. Again, what do we see? Trans. Formation. Okay, let's do one more. Maybe two more. Ugly duckling, right? Despised, abused, ridiculed, little ugly duckling. And we see the story of transformation into the most beautiful bird, the swan. Correct? Okay, one more. Okay, the prince frog. Again, slimy, small, green creature. And just one kiss transforms into uh, him a handsome prince. Isn't it interesting how many fairy tales, and I just gave you a handful, they just have all, the, all this message that we are not what we can be. Uh, we are not the better versions of who God created us to be. There is so much more to us, and there is so much more to life and we are on a journey of becoming all that God intended us to be. 
So we are not happy, we are dissatisfied with who we are, and we are longing to become somebody greater uh, than what we currently find ourselves to be. And the question is, how do we change? How do we transform? Well, I'm so glad that you asked, because God has an answer. No, he is not going to send an angel, Gabriel, to give you a kiss and transform you. Um, no, there is a process. And here is the key that we are going to be uh, looking at today. Uh, this comes from Romans 12:2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So there are two players. There is God. He has a part to play in you becoming a new person. And then there is you and I. We have a part to play too. God's part, He's transforming us. Let God transform you into a new person. He does it by the power of His truth and love and His Holy Spirit. But we need to let Him do that. We need to invite His participation and involvement in our life. And how do we do it? By changing the way we think. So, the Bible says, if you want to become a new person, if you want to become the true version of yourself, if you want to become the person that God created you to be, you have to start thinking new thoughts. The year 2019 will be only as new as the thoughts that you put into your head. So, how is it done? Well, I'm glad you asked. I would like to ask two fathers, men who have children in uh, uh, children's ministry, because I think you'll be the best. If you could come forward, and you can actually bring your kids. I I'd love to see you with your kids, and you will help me with an object lesson. So if I could have two dads come on stage, uh, I will make a little bit fun of you, but not too much. I will not humiliate you. I'll only embarrass you. Okay. Uh, all right, one dad is coming. You can bring a cheer team with you, your biggest fan, okay? And can we have one more dad? Come on, I have so much to tell you, and the clock is ticking, so we need to be moving. All right, we have here Ben, and he has a big fan team. Come on, one more dad. Guys, I promise you I will not humiliate you, just embarrass you. <laughs> okay, do I need to call names? All right, there comes the mighty Stephen. All right, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Ben. Can we give them a good hand? Thank you. All right. So, how about, Ben, you stand on, uh, you'll start, uh, no, you know what? You'll start right here. So, you stand right here, and you face that way, okay? And you guys, you can just cheer on for your dad when uh, we'll have a little game. And you, Stephen, you uh, stay right here, and you look that way. So here they are in the, uh, yeah, right here. So here they are in the beginning of 2019, and maybe they wake up in the morning and, and they, they read the Bible verse that says, if you want to have friends, you need to show yourself friendly. And they think, oh, I don't have any friends, I'm so lonely. And so they look ahead and they just see these obstacles. Oh, life is just not working for me, nobody likes me. Wait a minute. If you want to have friends, you need to show yourself friendly, change your thinking. Okay, I'm friendly. I've got something that people can like. I'm going to act like that. So they need to change their thinking. So this right here 
represents a change of thinking. <laughs> this is a new thought that you put on your head. So you want to put this over your head. It's minute-to-minute -minute elephant march. Okay, so they're putting a new thought into their mind. Okay, you go ahead. All right. Okay. All right. And so this is what will happen. Uh, when, uh, I, I have a prize for you, so you are actually, something will happen, something good will come out. When the music starts, uh, you watch Minute to Minute, right? Without using anything else but uh, your thoughts, the new thoughts that you put into your mind, you want to knock down all those bottles just with the orange. Are you clear, Steve? Yeah. Are you clear, Ben? <laughs> all right, as soon as you hear the music, yeah, you can begin and you guys, you cheer them on, okay? Okay, let go, let go of that. Okay. Okay, I'll put Oh, he is done. He is done. Well done. Well, thank you. Well, he had a nice big fan base. <laughs> so you get to work with this nice homeowner's toolkit. Thank you so much, gentlemen. So that was just an illustration. If you want new results in your life, if you want change, you need to put new thoughts in your head. And I hope you'll remember this weird-looking gentleman with the stalking over their head. That's what has to happen, new thoughts in your mind. Let's see how that worked out in the life of Gideon. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, chapter 6. All right? And we'll start with verse 1. We are going to meet Gideon and uh, see the transformation that took place in his life. So parents, take your time. If you need to help your children find the book of Judges, chapter 6, and we'll uh, read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll skip a couple verses, and we'll read verses 11 to 16. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, no cattle, no donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So we'll stop here now. So what we see is the nation of Israel utterly oppressed. Their spirit 
is broken, their national pride is broken, they have zero power to resist their enemy. And the enemy is basically being a typical bully. They just come to bring you heartache, uh, to be mean to you, and they did not even come to take anything from you. They just came to have fun. They brought their own supplies. They brought their own livestock. It was an entertainment for them. They came just at the right time when it was about time for Israelites to harvest their crops, and they would destroy everything in view of Israelites. Can you imagine how demoralizing it would be? If at the end of every project that you accomplish, whoever you are at work, at the end of every project, your enemy comes and he erases whatever you're working on from your hard drive, or he tears that canvas of paint, you know, that clay, or whatever you were working on, or that program that you were uh, writing, just being erased. Like all your hours, uh, all the sweat, all the tears that you put into this project, time after time, just for fun, and, and you watch it, and you're powerless to do anything. So this has been happening year after year after year. As a nation, Israel was oppressed, they felt small, and they felt powerless, like there was absolutely nothing that they could do. You work, you toil, you hope that this year it will be different, and here, this swarm of locusts comes, and they just ravage, they just destroy and demolish everything that they can find. So in this dark uh, world, an angel appears, and this is where we are picking up at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So this scene is ridiculous, because when you have wheat and you need to thresh grain, you want to be where there is wind. So he is actually in a deep pit. He is in a hole where there is no wind. He is basically hiding for his life. Probably he sneaked into his field grabbed a handful of grains so his family doesn't die out of starvation, and now he needs to thresh it. He needs to separate a good grain from uh, the part that's not necessary. So the whole scene was a scene of defeat and humiliation. And this is our introduction to Gideon. But things are about to get transformed for him. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What is happening? God starts by planting new thoughts into Gideon's minds. Gideon, I'm here to tell you how heaven sees you. You see yourself as weak, as bullied, as a victim, as powerless, but here is a new vision of how heaven sees you, mighty warrior. And let me tell you, there was nothing mighty about that picture. He didn't have a sword on him. He wasn't on top of the horse, dressed in armor, charging the army into the battle. He was about survival. I need a few grains 
so I can uh, turn them into wheat and bake bread so my family can live another day. Yet the angel says, greetings, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? So he has many questions. He is confused about the whole thing. And uh, let's go to verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He is going back to old thinking. But wait a minute, angel, you don't understand how our whole structure works. I'm the youngest. My clan is the weakest. Nobody respects me. Nobody takes me seriously. And have you seen the Midianite army? I stand no chances. So, He's going back to old thinking. Yet the angel is trying to push through new thoughts. No, you are a mighty warrior. You have strength, so go and save Israel. So let's just pause right here. So how do we become new? First step is believe. You have to pick a new label. You have to redefine yourself. You need to start looking at yourself the way heaven looks at you. And the labels that you have acquired along the way, they need to be peeled off, and you need to start believing that what God says about you is more true than what your circumstances or past experiences uh, tell you. So the process is like this. So this is you and me, and boys and girls, if you can get it, you will be so far ahead in life than you appears if you just get it how it all works. So right there in the very middle, the core is who you are. It's really your identity. It's how you see yourself. It's how your inner voice tells you what you are like. And the way you perceive yourself, your self-perception, then leads to your self-expression or that second circle, which we call my behavior or my actions. So if you see yourself as powerless or a victim or unworthy or incompetent, guess what? Your actions that will flow, they will resemble the thinking. That's how you will act, right? And then the way you behave really shapes your world. That's how people see around you and that's how they refer to you. So it's interesting that when God wants to change a person, when God wants to transform you and me, He doesn't start with your world. He doesn't start with your present reality. He doesn't even start with your behavior. No, He starts with your core. He gives you a new label, a new way of seeing yourself. That's how any change begins, by seeing yourself in the light of God. So God says, Gideon... I'm not going to talk about why you are weak or why you are hiding here. I'm going to address you the way I see you. You are a mighty warrior. And if you look at the whole uh, way of God relating to humans, God comes to Abram, old man in his 90s, childless, beyond the age to have children, and God says, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. 
which means father of many. So what is God doing? He says, God, God says, I'm going to change your label. You will be known as father of many. And that would have been ridiculous because Abraham was not a dad and he had no capacity to become one. To Sarai, his wife, God says, you will, uh, Sarai means princess. He says, I will rename you and you will be Sarah, which means mother of multitudes. So you see what God is doing? He's not saying, um, yeah, you are too old. I, I, I don't know. Well, we need to work on that. No. He says, let's change first the way you see yourself. And that will unlock my power to work on your behalf. Do any of you know Hosea? Probably not. But you know Joshua, right? And uh, his name that parents gave him was Hosea. Moses renamed him and said, no, you are Joshua. For you to accomplish what God has in mind for you, you cannot operate under the old label. Hosea means salvation. You need a new label, so Moses calls him Joshua, and that's the only way we know him. And Joshua means Yahweh saves. You, you see uh, the transformation that took place there? Simon. Uh, we know him now as Peter. And Jesus said, you are Peter, which means the rock. And you remember Simon, he was impulsive. One day he follows Jesus, the other, next day he betrays Jesus and denies knowing Jesus. One day he steps out of the boat and walks on water. Uh, next day uh, uh, he goes uh, and forgets his calling to be a fisher of men, and he says, I'm going back to fishing. This stuff of following Jesus is too dangerous. One day he hangs out with uh, Gentiles and preaches the gospel to them. Next day he's ashamed to be seen next to Gentiles so much that Paul had to rebuke him. So he was on and off. But Jesus did not address his behavior. He addresses his label. The way you see yourself, you are the rock. His disciples, before Jesus left, he knew he had to change their label. So in John 15, he says, I no longer call you my servants, but I call you my friends. Because Jesus knew for a group of 11 men to set this world on fire, they cannot be operating under the mentality of a servant, of a hired help, of a slave. They need to have passion. They need to have, uh, we need to be friends. And if you think of it, there is only one person in the entire Old Testament who earned that title, and it was Abraham. And only after proving his faithfulness to God, and only after putting his son on the altar, God referred to him as my friend. And here there is a bunch of men, imperfect, quarreling, who is the greatest, and Jesus said, the title that Abraham had, I'm transferring that label to you. You are my friends. You are the friends of God. I guess we need to act like ones, right? So, so you see the power of a label, Saul, a hater of Jesus, a persecutor of the church. Before anything else, God knew the label had to change. So he sends a disciple, Ananiah, uh, to the house where Saul was, and Ananiah said, no, God, I'm not going. I know why he is in Damascus. He's here to put us into prison. He hates the church. He is murdering us. He is trying to eradicate us. He says, no, he's my chosen vessel. And so Ananias goes, 
and uh, he sees Paul, and the very first thing he says, brother Saul. He gives him a new label. Saul did not have one minute, one chance to prove himself, yet God knows if we are going to launch Paul into what I created him to be, he needs to see himself differently. Isn't it amazing how this works? Take Corinthians, a very naughty church. I don't think any one of us would want to be a part of that congregation. The stuff that was going on, just take their communion. The stuff that was going on during their communion, it was ridiculous. Yet Paul, when he starts his letter, he says, chosen, beloved saints. He establishes, this is who you are. Let's talk about your core. Let's forget about your behavior for a moment. Let's first establish, this is who you are. You are not defined by your actions, by your behavior. You are defined by the work of the cross, by the grace of God in your life. And once we determine who you are, then you will have grace to express it. You're not becoming somebody. You're already that, and you just need to let your actions and words show it. So that's how God is transforming us. That's the first step is pick a new label. And so how do these labels even stick to us? How do we pick them up? And it all starts with beliefs. You start believing something about yourself. And whatever you believe about yourself leads to your identity. That's how you identify yourself. Yep, this is who I am. And then that identity gives birth to behavior, and then behavior, like, results, and then you look at your results. Yeah, I I thought so, and uh, this is just a cycle. And so, if we want to start changing ourselves, we really need to embrace a new belief about who you are. So, let's, uh, let's, let's just take a look at how it works. So, Dima, which is me, in third grade, had my first real crush on a girl. I mean, you know, it's not your kindergarten crush. It's not your first grade crush. When you're in third grade and you have a crush on a girl, it's a real crush. So this was this girl, her name was Tanya, and I was in love with her. I sat right behind her. I loved her voice. I loved her hair when she would come to the blackboard and pick up a chalk and would write some, a sentence on the board. I loved every little letter that she was writing, like I was studying her. I loved everything about her. Uh, of course, I was a chicken to admit it, oh, but my love was secret, but very real. Like every day after school, I would just make sure to follow her. As she was going home, I would be like about 15 feet away, and I would just walk. I just, I just couldn't get enough of her. I just wanted to see her. I just wanted to be in her presence, even if it was 15 feet away. I mean, third grade crush is a real crush. And I remember one day, I was sitting at home doing my homework, and all, of course, thinking about Tanya. And my feelings were so overwhelming and so heavy, they had somehow to come out. So I did what probably any third grader would do. I took a piece of paper and I wrote, I love Tanya. I don't know, I don't know why there is no logic, but probably when you carry it inside, it has to come out somehow, right? So there, I put it on the paper 
and then somehow it made way into my math book. And so next day I go to school, and we were, uh, she was sitting right in front of me, and guess what? She forgot a math textbook. So I was so happy. I was so happy just to come to her rescue. There were times when she needed like a quarter to go and buy something in the cafeteria. I was the first one to run and give her the quarter. Like I, I just, I was this knight, the rescuer, uh, who was shielding her from all the dragons in this world. And so when Tanya says she needs a textbook, I'm giving her a textbook. And so the lesson goes through, and she used the textbook, and she gave it back to me. And I remember during the recess, somehow I flipped through the textbook, and I found my note. <laughs> and the note said, I love Tanya. But there was something underneath that note now, and it was in her handwriting. My world was about to shatter. In her very own handwriting, it says, Ha, 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 very funny. <laughs> I was crushed. But guess what? That was where I picked my belief. I'm a loser. I'm unlovable. I'm a failure. I'm unworthy of a girl's attention and love. You see what's happening? These labels, they tend to stick to us and we embrace these beliefs based on what is happening around us. You would say, really, can just a little sentence written by a girl impact your world? Well, yes and no, but if it's coupled by my father, leaving me at the age of six, another label, you're unworthy, you're trash, you're not worth sticking around for, when it's coupled with every single birthday, me sitting by the phone saying, this year my father will not, uh, will not forget my birthday. This year he is going to call me. This year he'll wish me a happy birthday. And it's time to go to bed and he never called. And it just gets reinforced. You are defective. There is something wrong with you. You are unlovable. You see what's happening? We are picking up these labels. And they stick to us, and we embrace them as truth because they feel true. And we embrace it, this is my identity. And then when you feel unworthy, unlovable, guess what? You behave like one. You lack confidence, you expect that uh, that's the way people will treat you. And guess what they do? And then you see the results and you say, I knew it! I knew that uh, I'm not worthy of love or attention. And it just keeps going and going and going, this is the power of label. And so when God wants to transform his life, the very first thing he addresses, let's see, God addresses your beliefs. So just let's take a look at how it worked in Abraham's life. We looked at how it worked in Gideon's life. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, four verses 18 through 21. And it's so important for us to get this sequence. Because if we are honest, whenever we want to change our children, whenever we want to change our employees, whenever we want to change ourselves, we start with what? We start with our behavior. We think, if I'm more disciplined, if I have more willpower, and we are striving, 
and we are rebuking our children and criticizing them. Why can't you be more like so-and-so? And we are addressing behavior, and it's a path to defeat. It's a path to nowhere. So we must start with the core, how we see a person. We need to get an insight how God sees them. That should be our starting point in changing ourselves or helping our children change or our employees. Uh, and so, uh, Romans chapter 4, remember, God addressed Abraham, said, you're no longer Abram, you're Abraham, which means you are a father of many. That's how I see it. Even though it took 10 years for that promise to come to fruition. This was the process. Let's read, starting with verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. So that's when his transformation started with his belief, taking God at his word. And so became the father of many nations. You see, first you believe, you embrace. Okay, so I don't see any proof, but I'm going to agree with God if he calls me a saint, I'm going to say amen to that. If he calls me blameless and spotless and pure and lovable and worthy, I'm going to agree with that and I'm going to believe that. And when he believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So God says, you're Abraham, and he says, yes, sir. I look in the mirror, and I don't see Abraham. I see an old man. I look around my tent, I don't see any children running. I look at my, at, my, uh, at my wife, and I cannot imagine us having children. But if you are giving me a new label, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to embrace myself. I'm going to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Father of many nations. And God, you'll have to do the rest, but thank you for the new label. And so the question is, what is the new label that you need to agree with God with today in this new year? Forget about your behavior and your actions for now. Forget about modifying your behavior. What is the core that maybe you allowed the world, your parents, your past to shape and convince you that this is who you are? And God says, no, this is not who you are, but you need to agree with me. You need to embrace it. You need to believe and the same for your children. What are they struggling with? And maybe you've been addressing their behavior, completely forgetting the core. And so maybe that's where you need to start. Let's look at step two. So we looked at uh, step one, believe. Now step two is behave. So that's our part. Now we have to behave. Uh, like, like the label says. Okay, so let's look at Judges chapter 6, verses 25 to 28. There was a second step in the process that Gideon had to participate in. 
First, he had to agree with God. Okay, I am a mighty warrior. All right. I don't own a sword. I don't own a horse. I don't have an army. But if you say I'm a mighty warrior, I'll embrace it. Okay? Verses 25 through 28. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build the proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Okay? And let's read now verses 33 and 35. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. Do you see the transformation from being in the bottom of the pit in the wine press, hiding for his life, and now he is blowing a trumpet after the Holy Spirit came on him, and he is calling his men to arms. But there was one big step that God told him that had to happen before he became known as a warrior. He had to start in his own home. He had to start in his father's backyard. God told him, your father is an idol worshiper, and there, is a, there are poles that need to be brought down, and there is an altar to Baal that need to be demolished. Go and do it. So first... He was called a mighty warrior. Now God says, as a mighty warrior, this is your first mission. And this was a tough mission to go against the father, what his father built, and that altar was huge. It was about 20 feet long, and it was rocks and mortar. It wasn't Lego blocks that you just go into the backyard and you connect them. It was a lot of sweat, a lot of uh, work that went into demolishing that altar and to sewing down or chopping with an axe those poles that were erected to false gods. Yet, as he was doing in obedience, the simple task that God assigned him, the label was taking root inside of him. I'm a mighty warrior. I'm a mighty warrior. And as a result, in response to his obedience, when the time was right, the Spirit of God fell, and it became evident to everybody else that he was indeed a mighty warrior, and people wanted to follow him. So first, you believe, you embrace a new label. Second, you behave, and then you become. It becomes evident that you are no longer who you used to be. You are the person that God created you to be. So let me tell you how it worked out in my life. I, I could share you more examples, but I'll just share one. I was, in, uh, I was 15 years old, and my mom 
dragged me to this evangelical church in Ukraine, not because she was a Christian, but because I became a teenager, and she knew that as a teenager I will be exposed to many temptations that teenagers face, and she wanted me to be in the safest place on earth. And even though she lived like an infidel and a wild woman, she wanted her son to be in the church. And I'm so thankful to her for that. So this particular Tuesday night, we find ourselves in this church, and by then the communism and Soviet Union fell apart, and we were enjoying freedom in our country of Ukraine. And so lots and lots of missionaries would come and bring us Bibles and teach us how to train children or youth, and they would preach at our services. So I remember sitting uh, in the church service, and there were missionaries from the United States. And it was amazing. There was this pastor from America, and he was talking in American, whatever Americans talk, right? <laughs> and there next to him was a Ukrainian man, and he would take whatever this American guy said, which didn't make sense to anybody else, and he would translate it into our language, which was Russian at that point. So let me give you an example. So this pastor comes and says, Greetings from the United States of America, my brothers and sisters. We have heard about you and your faith amongst the persecution. People have no idea what he said, but here is this translator. Добрый вечер, братья и сестры. Мы так рады быть среди вас. Мы слышали о вашей вере среди преследования. Oh, now that made sense. So, my eyes were wide open, my jaw was on the floor. I thought, this is magic. This guy says something, makes no sense. This guy says something, I understand. I, at that point, I've been taking English classes in school for about three years. English didn't make any sense to me. I was at the bottom of my class, and I'll be honest with you, I hated English. The sounds, uh, it just the sentence structure just didn't make any sense. But I remember my mom leaning over to me, and I know it was a God-ordained moment of her speaking to the core. She didn't say, hey, Dima, if you study harder, maybe one day you'll be a translator. She didn't say, oh, Dima, maybe if you pay more attention in class, you'll be a translator. No. She leaned over just as that exchange was taken uh, on the stage, and she says, Dima, one day you'll be doing that. One day you'll be a translator. That's all she said. One day that's what you will be doing. But mom, did you see my grades? Mom, do you remember how much I hate the language? If you look at my class, I'm at the... We start with the label. And I cannot tell you, when she believed in me, sometimes you just need somebody else to see in you what you cannot believe about yourself, something good about you that you're afraid to think that this is true. When she believed that, it became a part of me. And something changed, and I fell in love with English language. And every day I would just come home, and I pick up a dictionary, and I would start behaving as a translator, learning words, going to church service. After the service, 
going to our guests and practicing my English on them one phrase at a time, not fully understanding what they're saying, but being very happy that they understood me. And that was my transformation. But that started with her putting a new label in me. And it all culminated with me eight years ago getting on my one knee and proposing to an American girl in English and her saying yes to me and me moving to America and now having two boys here in America and now me being here. But guys, just think of it. It all started when I was 15 with my mom saying things that were not true. She says, one day you'll be, ah, there was no proof of that. But she believed in that. And so, as the worship team comes forward to lead us in a song, the question I have for us, what is the new label? What is it that you need to believe God, what He believes about you, that you need to agree about it with Him? about your children, about your co-workers, about your employees. Maybe there is somebody you need to start seeing in a new light before they give you any reason to do that. And maybe that will produce transformation in their lives. So as uh, the worship team leads us in the next song, let this be bec become our prayer of just exhaling, breathing out, the old way of thinking about us and our loved ones and breathing in the truth of what God says about us. Let's take this moment just allowing God to peel off something old and stick something new. As we are getting ready to head into the brand new year, I'd like to speak this blessing over us. This year, may we love better and live bigger. This year, may we be transformed by the power of God, a transformation that's from our strength to His, from broken to beautiful, from fear to faith, a transformation that starts in the heart, then seeps outward into the world, a transformation that fulfills His deepest desires for us. This year, may we be wide open to the transforming hand of the Father who makes all things new. It won't be quick. It won't be easy. But it will be so worth it. You becoming so extraordinarily new. God bless us all. <laughs>